Hello UX community and welcome for this episode number three of UX Change. So this is a kind of bonus episode. Um, I don't know if you saw, I try to submit episodes every Friday. I will try. But this Friday, as you may have seen, for those who listened to the first two episodes, I only released the intro for this podcast. So it's kind of a fun fact. I had the intro released after the first episodes, and I'm sorry for that. For my few listeners, by the way, I really want to thank you, uh, my listeners, for the time you take, for your trust, and for listening to my podcasts. By the way, I hope the content is helpful for you, and if you have any requests, feedback, comment, topic you want me to address in the next episodes, that would help you, please submit your request on ux-change.com. I repeat, is ux-change.com. And for today, another fun fact, I am always wearing a hoodie, I mean, with my hood on, when I'm at home. This is when I need to concentrate. So the people who know me find this really weird, but I really need this to concentrate. Anyway, that's not important. Let me tackle the topic for today. And this topic was not intended to be a podcast episode, but as I was saying in the intro, I was not sure about the format that I was going to adapt. So in this case today, I will talk about what makes a UX Research Insights. What is a UX Research insight? How to phrase a UX Research insight? and how to make them actionable. So I hope it will be helpful for you. At least it has been helpful for some of my UX mentories. And as a matter of fact, I decided to have this episode following some UX mentorship sessions that I had with my mentories. And as this was a recurring question, I thought, why not? Again, the objective of this podcast is to exchange and to change experiences, hence the name, and to share experiences and insights also for people who cannot attend my mentorship sessions. And by the way, before you move forward, if you want to assess a mentorship session and to book one, please head to my adplease.org profile. I will paste it in the podcast description. So now let's move forward. What is a UX research insight? Well, everyone kind of has their own definition, depending on the bootcamp, depending on the professor, depending on the company as well. But in general, we all agree on some components of a UX research insights. And I don't, and I don't mean to scare you and to freak you out. You will see, I will mention a lot of components. Of course, these are what I like to have in mind. It's not intended to be an exhaustive list and it's not intended to be a full recipe to follow. It's just for me to give this list to you as a guidance and for you to remind more or less what makes a UX research insight. Of course, if you want to adopt a different strategy and if, if in your team you phrase insights in a different manner, I would like to know more. So about this. So please, if you want to communicate with me, 
about how do you phrase research insights and if if it's kind of different to what I will say now, please head over to ux-change.com and submit a comment. I will be really happy to, to read it. But yeah, in my case, a UX research insight to begin with is something that challenges the understanding you have on a customer or on a user. I like to address the participants I do my studies with as users. They are not always customers. So everything you might not know already about a user or about a customer and everything which in the end, if you consider it, might completely change your view on how you should develop your product or your business. This can be an insight. So for instance, if you discover then that young professionals, when they enter their first job, some of them living in some areas, for instance, it's completely random as an example, but they look at their expenses only during the evening, once a day, and you're working on a product to help them manage their budget. So this is an insight because it tackles, it's related to something you may not have known before, right? But to be a bit more precise, because it can be kind of evasive as I'm saying it now, I have several things in mind when I consider an insight. So, so it's still something that you don't know and that challenges the way you want to develop a product. But more specifically, it can be an emotion. It can be a behavior or it can be a need or a pain point. For instance, families can be frustrated by their nanny booking app because it's not easy to schedule a booking. So this can be an insight. And here we state the emotion, frustrating, frustration. So yeah, first of all, an emotion, a behavior or a need pain point. Then what I like to have in mind as well is, okay, it is an emotion, a behavior or need, but it has also to answer research questions. And this should not be complicated because when you run your research, you finish your research, you analyze your data, you come up with the insights. Normally you should have insights that are related to your research questions because this is the way we plan and conduct research. We first define our research questions and then we define the methods that go along with our research questions. And with that come our results. So this is um, the usual way, but I like to think of research as something really dynamic, something really organic that can evolve. I don't like to think of it as something rigid. So of course I'm saying this again as a guidance but it doesn't have to be always this way. In my past, I sometimes discovered some really interesting insights that were not directly tied to research questions. And by the way, um, these insights also influenced the product strategy. So I'm saying this as a guidance because of course you will give more weight to the insights for which you, you had research questions, but it doesn't have to be always this way. Then of course, an insight has to be concise. It will be way easier for someone to understand it if it's like 
one sentence or two compared to a whole sheet to a whole document. An insight should be really quick to scan, to read, and to understand. And speaking about understanding, it has to be clear. It has to not use any jargon or any scientific words, any words that cannot be understood out of their context or for someone that is not in your area or in your field. Think of it as what I like to think is that several ways. So you have to think as, for instance, a coder. I've done some coding in my past, so I, I know more or less the similarities. Imagine you're a coder and you're working on a code and three months, four months from now, you have to reread it. And it will be completely new for you because of course you will have forgotten it. So it it's really useful for you in this case when you develop your code to think as um, about your next and future you as someone who is completely new. So that's why in general we say to coders, I'm not a professional coder, but I know that's what we say to them, comment your code as much as possible and make it lean, make it readable, concise, and make it clear. So for instance, use variable names that are related to what you are assigning to these variables, no? So this is something that for me resonates when we make the parallel with UX research. If you use insights that are easily understandable out of their context, when you read your case study and when you present it, for instance, four months after, you will have no or less difficulty to understand it and to remember it. For another reason, your insights should be communicated to various audiences. Of course, if you could communicate your insights to your peer UX researchers, they can understand it, even if it's complex, because they know and what you are working on and they also work on similar projects or to your UX research manager. But imagine you have to communicate it to different people and they are not all up to the fact of what you're doing. So it can be product designers, it can be product managers, data analysts, it can be executives. I've done it in the past. For executives, for instance, you will have to adapt a lot your speech to, for instance, mention the business takeaways or the potential impact it could have on the business, for instance. And you will have to use a lot less technical words because you will lose them. So this is what I would say, it has to be clear. So when all of this is considered, then I like to think of an insight as something which should be actionable. The word actionable is complicated here and the notion itself is as well. And you will find a lot of resources on the internet that will talk about it. A lot of people who have different ideas of what it is to be actionable, different philosophies. A lot of people say it's not up to us as UX researchers to think of insights as actionable or not, because there are insights in themselves. And a lot of people should be involved in making them actionable. In any case, I think it's still on us as UX researchers to try to take our insights as far as possible in the product development lifecycle and to think about the how 
can we make this actionable? How can we try to push this further in the development of our product? And so for this, again, it has to be linked to the research questions and it has to take into account the business perspective. So in a nutshell, then it has of course also to inspire empathy. If you speak about your user and you mention, for instance, and this is linked to another aspect that I was saying before, an emotion, users are frustrated when they add something to their cart and it straight leads them to the checkout process and they can see, for instance, that there was some added value, like what I mean by that is they have to pay more suddenly, they have to pay some fees and they weren't prepared for this. So you can phrase it in a way that evokes empathy because we all know that we all have at some point crossed this experience of adding, in my case, several years ago, I remember I added some plane tickets to my cart and then in the end, you can see that the price has gone up, has risen. And so some experiences, we can all relate to it. So phrasing it in a way that can inspire empathy is also a way for us to make sure that the insight can be actionable. And for this, you can, for instance, focus on the user's emotions or the behaviors, something that we can relate. And then I like as well to rank my insights by severity. So high, medium, or low. Get this, I had several comments in my mentorship sessions, and I agree with some of them. For instance, mentioning it can be more difficult to know if an insight is high in severity, if it's a discovery study versus if it is a usability study. Of course, I agree. If it is a discovery and you don't have a prototype, well, it can be more difficult to see if it's high severity, medium or low. Let's consider first the usability one. Of course, if you are running a usability study, you can see already if an insight is high in priority. Why? I will put into high priority everything that is blocking the user experience and everything that is significantly impacting their experience. So for instance, I have to add something to my cart to run my groceries, to do my groceries online, and I cannot. I click on a button and it's not working. Well, this is blocking my experience. So this would be high in priority because in the end, the user is not able to accomplish the task. Or if there is significantly, I don't know, a pop-up passing by at each one of my steps when I'm doing my groceries online and I have to click on a cross to disable it every time. So it's significantly slowing me doing my groceries. So it's not something that is blocking me, but it's slowing me a lot. And this can lead me to go to the competitor with which I will find a more pleasant experience and I, I will be able to run my, to do my groceries more quickly, right? So this would be a high priority because it's to be addressed directly before everything else. And then you have the medium and low ones in a nutshell. It's something that is not blocking or mm, recurring, 
but it, that is impacting the user experience as well. And that would be more of a nice to have and nice to address. But first, of course, let's tackle the high priority. So this was for usability studies. And of course, for discovery studies, it's more difficult because you don't have something tangible to relate your insights to. I mean, by that, I mean a prototype. But still, it can be ranked by high, medium, or low. So, for instance, you know that people struggle with personal finances. So this is a fact. This is something that it's that is always been the case. We have some people struggling with personal finances. Some people are doing well. Some people are doing medium. Well, if you want to develop a service, a product, or a prototype regarding personal finances, you may find some insights related to some behaviors that people are already doing related to their personal finances that is not helping them. For instance, not paying themselves first at the beginning of the month or not budgeting or doing a budget, but inconsistently. This is a high priority insight because it's definitely blocking them and preventing them of having a good health, financial health. Even if you have no prototype, no service, no product, this is already something that is important enough. So to sum up here, regarding all the aspects of an insight, what we have covered so far. So first of all, something that challenges the understanding you have on a customer, a user, something that is answering a research question. It has to be concise. It has to be clear. It has to be actionable. It has to inspire empathy. And you can also rank it by severity. And of course, this last one about severity, it's easier if you have several. So now about the phrasing of the insight. Now that you know all this, the components of an insight, or maybe, sorry, what defines an insight, now how can you phrase it in your UX research study so that it's directly resonating in the head of your stakeholder? So first of all, I will mention the insight itself as a quick sentence. Again, taking a bit from each of the aspects we mentioned before. So concise, clear, actionable, inspiring empathy and answering research questions. So, um, and again, I will use the principles I mentioned before saying it's an emotion, a behavior or a need or a pain point. So for instance, you can say users of our grocery app are not finding easily the vegetable category when doing their grocery. This is an insight because it will inspire action. Okay, they are not finding it easily. This is a fact and we didn't know it before, probably. Then what I like to add on top of that, and it's still part of the insight in my opinion, it's the why. Why are they not finding this content easily? Well, because the vegetable category is put under really random what I'm about to say, but the vegetable category is put under the fruit category. Imagine people have first to go through fruit and then under fruit, they will find banana, kiwi and so on. And then they will find vegetable. I know it's completely funny. We cannot imagine a business or a product this way, 
but it's just for the sake of the example. By the way, if you have better examples, please, please send them to me or life experiences using your apps and services and websites. I will really appreciate. So as I was saying, the why, why is this an insight? Then you can mention if it's possible and if it's not uh, competing with the aspect of being concise and clear, you can add, how did you came up? How did you come up with it? Sorry. So for instance, people are not finding easily the vegetable category on our website because the vegetable category is listed under fruit. You can say something like, we discovered this running car sorting, which is a method used in general to um, redefine an information architecture. You can mention it more clearly and concisely saying, people struggled identifying the vegetable category as identified in car sorting activity, something like this. And then the last ingredient of an inside formulation, an inside phrasing, what I would say is why is this important? And this is super, super important. <laughs> By the way, I discovered this when I joined my last job and I deeply thank my UX research manager at that time, because it's something that I didn't, I hadn't seen in my UX research articles or books or any other resource videos regarding UX research. Maybe, maybe I hadn't done my research properly. It's also possible, but I think it's also something that is not properly covered. And she mentioned that to me. She mentioned, okay, you have several insights. Now that you have to prioritize what will help you and also what will help the stakeholders understand that they need to address this is that you mention why is this important? So for instance, you can say, this is important because if customers are not finding the vegetable category on our website, we run the risk of them going to the competitors where they will find their vegetable categories. So you risk losing customers. It can be something like this, but it can be something more tangible and logical. I'm sorry for the example. So yeah, in a nutshell, so to sum up with everything, this episode has been about what is an insight and how to define it. So first of all, something that challenges your understanding, you have a customer, it has to answer research questions. It has to be concise. It should be clear, actionable, inspire empathy. And if you have several, it's good to rank them by severity. Then the insight itself, you should phrase the insight as a quick, clear and concise sentence. And you should also um, focus in general on emotions, behaviors, needs, pain points, expectations. And then mention why is this an insight? So giving more bullet points. How did you come up with it? Mention quickly, if you can, it's not, it's not an imperative. Mention quickly how you came up with it. And then why is this important? And yeah, following all these tips, you have elements for it to help you know what is an insight and how to define it. Again, this is not meant to be a comprehensive list, exhaustive list. 
first of all, so maybe some elements are lacking. This is just my feedback as a UX researcher. And also, um, maybe all of that is not needed depending on the circumstances. So check with your managers, check with your peers. And finally, methods in UX research and knowledge and practices are always evolving. So what I'm saying now, if you listen to this podcast, let's say in one year, maybe some of it is not holding true anymore. So take everything that I'm saying in this podcast with a grain of salt. It's just meant for me to help and share my knowledge regarding UX research. But I, I want to remain helpful. So when things will be changing and if it comes to my knowledge, I will change the content, I will adapt. And so that is why to finish also with this podcast, I strongly encourage you if you have, again, feedback, comment, if you want me to address some topics, if there are things that you like, that you don't like regarding the format, but also the content, please head over to the website ux-change.com and leave a message there with your email and your message. And I will answer you as quick as possible. And again, thanks to everyone listening to my podcast. I hope to see you in the next episode. In the next episode, I will talk about recruiting participants. Again, thank you all and take care. Bye-bye.